The Tom Woods Show, episode 1518. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you're like me, when you criticize the Federal Reserve, you get all these lackey-style responses. Why the Fed has made the economy more stable. You don't want to go back to the 19th century, do you? All kinds of arguments like that. Well, you can blow those and others out of the water with my free ebook, Our Enemy, the Fed. Grab it at OurEnemyTheFed.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. I am back from a little time in Philadelphia, and I'm happy to say that the group of folks from my supporting listeners group who joined me for the escape game last week, we were successful. We did escape the room. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, Google the term escape room. And I've been doing these with folks from my supporting listeners group in various cities over the past couple of years. And I uh, intend to continue doing that. I don't know the next time, but I'll keep on doing it. It's a lot of fun. It's a good way to get to know some of you folks. Uh, If you're not in that Supporting Listeners group, supportinglisteners.com is where to go to sign up. It is a place where you get many, many, many goodies and bonuses from me, and you are welcomed officially into the Tom Woods Show Elite, which in your heart of hearts, you know you belong in. Well, today, I want to talk about what's going on with Tulsi Gabbard, but before I do that, I I just can't help saying something about Hillary Clinton and NASA. You see this thing on Twitter? Apparently there was, uh, several days ago, there was an all-women spacewalk for the first time ever. And Hillary Clinton put out this tweet saying, when I was a little girl, I wrote to NASA and told them that I dreamed of being an astronaut. And she says, they wrote back and said they weren't taking girls. Okay, there's no chance that happened. No way that that, there's absolutely no way that happened. And some people have been trying to point out, well, You were born in 1947. NASA wasn't even established until 1958. So, I mean, are you really writing to them, first of all, as soon as they open their doors when you're 11? Uh, Because even that's a little bit old to be dreaming of being an astronaut. So, in other words, people have gone through that. But but even just look at the, the absurdity of it. A little kid writes to you saying she wants to be an astronaut. You just ignore it. You don't... It's like writing to Santa. You know, you, you write to NASA, nothing happens. Or at best, they have a form letter for you. They're not going to go out of their way to say, sorry, kid, we don't take girls. Could you imagine them going to the trouble of doing that? That is impossible to believe. So then somebody pulled out, I guess, in Hillary's memoir or something, she told this ridiculous story about the letter from NASA, which, of course, she can't produce, and nobody else has evidence of this letter. Nobody else got a letter like this. And I saw actually saw somebody on Twitter saying, well, NASA corroborates the story. Yeah, a NASA spokesman eight gazillion years later when confronted with, well, Hillary Clinton says you people wrote her a letter uh, eight million years ago. Well, I'm sure the guy just figured, well, I guess if she says so, probably we did. I wasn't working there 800 years ago, so I really wouldn't know. He just said, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess we just had a different policy then. I mean, I It is not that, yes, I remember the official letter we drafted that we sent to little girls who inquired about being astronauts. Just she can't be normal. The the woman cannot be normal for five blankety-blank seconds, this woman. Cannot be normal for five seconds. It's always some crazy made-up story. So I tweeted back. I said, um, I retweeted with a comment, Hillary's thing about writing to NASA when she's a little girl. And I said, 
I'd take things that never happened for $200, but Hillary Jeopardy cleared out that category 30 years ago. That was my tweet. So follow me on Twitter at Thomas E. Woods, and you'll get fun stuff like that. All right, now, before I say something about Tulsi Gabbard, you know she's running for president as a Democrat. She's a member of the U.S. Congress from Hawaii. Let me just anticipate objections that I might get. First one, Tulsi's not really a libertarian. Yeah, I know, she's not a libertarian at all. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I already know that. (laughs) Thank you. I know she's not a libertarian. Secondly, Tulsi's not even that anti-war. She's not consistent. Maybe so. If anything, that proves my point, which is, regardless of whether she's a libertarian, regardless of whether you like her, regardless of how consistent she is, her example teaches us something about the way the establishment operates. I don't care if you don't like her. I don't care if you don't like her domestic policy. I agree with you. And by the way, when I say you, dear listener, I don't mean you. I mean, you know who I mean. People out there, the the Beltway libertarians who have to make absolutely clear to us how superior they are. And they they can't possibly – in fact, I saw a couple of Washington-style libertarians the other day saying, yeah, maybe Tulsi is a Russian asset. I mean this is not how normal people talk, right? There's a whole wing of the libertarian movement that actually talks like that, and it amazes me. Like they will buy into any establishment narrative they have to in order to stay respectable. But again, if Tulsi really isn't as good on intervention as we might like her to be, as I say, all that does is prove my point further, which is if the establishment is going this crazy about somebody who isn't even consistent, imagine what they would do, especially in this day and age, to somebody who was consistently 100% anti-war and who was polling higher than Tulsi is. It teaches us something, right? It is, it is so utterly beside the point to tell me that Tulsi's not a libertarian. I know that. I know that. I've been at this libertarian game a long time, and I know a libertarian when I see one, and she ain't one. I, I know that. But man, does this tell us something. So here's the, the deal. Hillary Clinton, as you may have heard, said this. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who is currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be the third-party candidate. She's the favorite of the Russians. They have a bunch of sites and bots and other ways of supporting her so far. And that's assuming Jill Stein will give it up, which she might not because she's also a Russian asset. Now, this is – now, interestingly enough, even Van Jones, who's you know pretty – he's left but establishment. Even he couldn't take this. And there's a good clip of him on CNN saying, look, Hillary, there's, you have no evidence for this. You, this was a completely fact-free statement. This cannot be how our party operates. This is ridiculous. You can't do that. And that's what Caitlin Johnstone, of course, you would expect her to say, uh, has been saying. Caitlin Johnstone is a progressive writer, but who's so good on the national security state and on foreign policy and the foreign policy consensus and the reptile creatures who govern us that I, you know, I can overlook some of her bad stuff to just get to the good. And man, has she got a good column on this. This whole phenomenon of how all of a sudden, On a moment's notice, everybody suddenly has the same opinion on something. All the news reporters, all the politicos, all the influencers, they've all got the same opinion suddenly. Exactly the same opinion, same buzzwords, same talking points. It's bizarre. 
It really is bizarre. I mean, they have no idea what it's like to be us, to be normal people observing American society. It is astonishing to observe this, where suddenly everybody talks the same way, uses the same words, and holds the same fact-free position on something. We've all observed this, and it just leaves you breathless. This is what it must be like to live in an Orwell novel. So there was a response from Tulsi on Twitter, and it's in the form of several tweets, and I'll read them all as one. She says, great, thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption, and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know it was always you, through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. So that was her response, which is a pretty darn good response, if you ask me. And yes, the American people need to hear Hillary Clinton called a warmonger. Yes, that's going to blow their minds in some cases, but it shouldn't if they've been paying attention. So I think that's great. Good for her. I don't have to support all her positions to think that's important for the American population to hear. And also because, man, the zombie responses of everybody thinking the same way. I mean, honestly, could you imagine actually saying in public, so-and-so is a Russian asset, Could you imagine that? Wouldn't you be mortified at what a brainwashed idiot you'd look like? Could you just imagine it? No normal person talks like that because there's that thing in your brain that tells you, don't say that. Keep that in your brain, but don't actually say it. It's too stupid to say. You know, you have a thing. I don't know the technical term for it. Maybe there is no technical term, right? There's some, we'll just call it a thing in the brain that stops you from saying stupid things. And for some reason, there's some people where that thing has atrophied or it never formed fully or something. Like, I don't know how to explain this, that people would go around saying things that are absolutely humiliatingly stupid. I, I hear somebody say Russian bot or Russian asset, and I think this person has an IQ of 57. That is the conclusion I draw. This person sits by the New York Times, cross-legged, waiting to be told what to think. That is the only explanation for somebody acting like that. Now, I want to read a few quotations from, it doesn't matter who these people are, they're all just commentators, their names are not important. They're in the Caitlin Johnstone article that I'm going to be linking to on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1518. Let me give you a few of them because they're trying to explain themselves. When you say, look, there's no evidence of any connection whatsoever between Tulsi and the Russians, what, what is this all about? You get answers like this. Russian assets are not formal relationships in the U.S. intelligence community sense of the word. If you are parroting Russian talking points and furthering their interests, you're a source who is too dumb to know you're being played to ask for money. Hmm, okay. Then we hear, it's important to point out here that a Russian asset is not the same thing as a Russian agent. An asset can be witting or unwitting. It's any person or organization who can be used to advance Russia's interests. It's pretty clear that Tulsi satisfies that criteria. Well, well, that's she means to say that criterion, singular of criteria. Then we get, 
One doesn't have to be on the Kremlin's payroll to be a Russian asset. One doesn't even have to know they are a Russian asset to be a Russian asset. How about that? Have you not heard the term useful idiot before? Hmm. And here's the response from Caitlin Johnstone. Yep, yeah, that makes perfect sense. One doesn't have to actually have any formal relationship with the Kremlin to be a Kremlin asset. One doesn't have to know they're a Kremlin asset to be a Kremlin asset. The Kremlin doesn't even need to know one is a Kremlin asset for them to be a Kremlin asset. Nothing has to have happened except the accusation of being a Kremlin asset. It's just kind of a vague, shapeless, nothing thing that doesn't necessarily have any actual meaning to it at all besides the way it makes people feel inside. It's more like a religious belief, really. Isn't it interesting how that works? This is still Johnstone. Establishment loyalists get a damaging and incendiary tag that they can pin on anyone who disagrees with them with the sole evidentiary requirement being that disagreement itself. Ooh, that's good. So calling people unwitting Russian assets or whatever, as Johnstone says, this is just another way of saying they hold positions that diverge from the microscopic Overton window of establishment-authorized opinion. That's exactly how I would say it. It is microscopic. When it comes to foreign policy, you just can't say anything apart from what the empire approves of without being smeared. You cannot say anything. It's all the interventions are justified and no withdrawal is justified. There's always some excuse, some reason, the timing is wrong, the way you're going about it is wrong. Like there's always some safe, establishment-approved explanation for why the empire must continue in its present form. And when you say maybe not, you're some kind of a Russian asset. Look, the United States would be much wealthier, much wealthier, if it didn't spend all this money on these foreign conflicts. And it didn't expend all these resources, both in terms of uh, the armed forces and also in terms of the brain power that goes into the military-industrial complex, like in terms of inventors and scientists and engineers. Those people could be researching products for civilian use. So that is all lost to us forever. We would be much wealthier were it not for these interventions. So if Russia really is our enemy, presumably they would want us to stay bogged down in the Middle East, right? Osama bin Laden really was an enemy of the United States. And that's precisely what he wanted. He wanted the United States to be bogged down in the Middle East. He, he made that clear. He didn't say, the best thing from my point of view would be for the United States to withdraw. No, he wants the United States to bleed itself dry. That's what your enemy wants. So I don't understand why a policy that would obviously enrich us would be something that our supposed enemy Russia would support. Who, who, who could even make sense of any of this insanity? This is also Johnstone. Such positions, that is positions taken by people like you and me, typically consist, in other words, positions that might get you called a Russian asset, of some form of opposition to long-standing U.S. military agendas, such as America's failed policy of regime change interventionism. Both Jill Stein and Tulsi Gabbard have inserted skepticism of U.S. military policy into mainstream political discourse, which is tremendously inconvenient for the people whose job it is to manufacture consent for new wars and endless military expansionism. And let's not forget, again, as Johnstone says, that never mind the fact the U.S. establishment foreign policy consensus has been an unmitigated disaster that has only made the world worse. And she says, moreover, 
it has been firmly established beyond any doubt that it is now literally impossible for an American political figure to vocally oppose U.S. warmongering without being labeled a Russian asset. Now, I hope this is the kind of thing that in future years, students learning about it will laugh at. How could people have been so stupid? Yeah, Rand Paul doesn't want the United States in yet another quagmire. He must be a Russian asset. If he were a Russian asset, he would want the United States to be in a quagmire. I mean, right, if Russia is our enemy, they would want us to be in as many quagmires as possible. Good grief. I wish half these people had had one-tenth of this concern about Russian intentions and the problems with Russia back when there were, you know, gulags and starvation campaigns. But back then, they were pretending those things didn't exist or were being exaggerated by the right wing or were just phony stories Remember Walter Durante of the New York Times peddling that story about the Ukrainian terror famine? I wish they'd cared this much then when it actually was a big problem living in Russia and you actually had a totalitarian regime. You may have authoritarianism in Russia, but you don't have anybody starving five to six million Ukrainians. You don't have that. It's nuts. And yes, it is very useful to observe this Tulsi Gabbard situation. I had somebody in my feed the other day, by the way, say, if you're a libertarian and you support Tulsi Gabbard, you're a jerk. And the person didn't say jerk, by the way. It was a worse word. And yeah, that's what the person's voice sounds like. You're a jerk. You're a jerk. Something like that. I thought, oh, okay. At most... I've seen libertarians say they have a kind of rooting interest in Tulsi simply because, as president, she has a lot of influence over foreign policy and can't do a thing, really, on domestic policy. I mean, with some obvious exceptions that you can do with executive orders and the like, but you need congressional approval, you need bills to be passed and whatever. But foreign policy, you could make immediate changes right away but they have a rooting interest in her because she is obviously not approved by the establishment. That's clear. I mean, as Michael Malice pointed out, the establishment is all up in arms because Tulsi used to be anti-LGBT. Oh my goodness, are they all upset about that. But they're not upset about the Clintons who were against gay marriage in the 1990s. And in 2004, when John Kerry was seeking advice from Bill Clinton about how to get elected, Clinton told him to run against gay marriage. But yet they overlooked that. They can overlook that because he's part of the three-by-five card of allowable opinion. So there's no need to bring any of that stuff up. You bring that stuff up just to destroy people, right? At least in the minds of Democratic voters, you bring that kind of thing up to destroy somebody. The obvious parallel here is with Ron Paul. Now, Tulsi Gabbard is no Ron Paul. Obviously, duh, goes without saying. But the way she's been treated is quite similar in terms of blackouts, smears, double standards. I mean, the the smears they have of her are, I mean, imagine if the situation were reversed and it wasn't Bernie who had the heart attack at age 78, but it was Tulsi. I I have a funny feeling we'd be reading articles about the five-year survival rate of people who have heart attacks when they're 78. I have a funny feeling we would read articles about that. Nothing from Bernie, not a thing. So you can't help but note that parallel between, I mean, because some of the folks listening right now are too young to remember, but 
the media response to Ron Paul was unbelievable. I mean, he was he really was invisible half the time. There were Republican organizations that made him invisible. The media made him invisible. There was a, in fact, I think it was the 2012 campaign where in the fourth quarter of, yeah, I guess it would have been 2012, he came in second in fundraising behind Mitt Romney, second place in fundraising. MSNBC puts up the statistics. They show the number one fundraiser, then the number three, four, five, the number two fundraising candidate was completely left out. That, what, what was that, just an oversight? You think they would leave out Mitt Romney? You think they would have left out John McCain? Some screw, I mean, this is a weird, we're living in a weird, weird society, weird. And incidentally, the dislike of Tulsi seems to have gotten started because she was a Bernie supporter. She was very unhappy with the dirty tricks she felt like the Democratic National Committee had been playing on Bernie, and she was unhappy with that and said so and went and worked for Bernie. And the Clintonites never forgave her for that. So that's another element to all this. And I might add, by the way, that it goes to show what a crummy person Bernie Sanders is, that she put everything on the line for him. You know, she took a real professional risk sticking her neck out to side with him. Has he said a word about these ridiculous smears of Tulsi? Has he said a word about this absurd idea that she's a Russian asset? What, because, oh, she disagrees with the American foreign policy establishment. Yeah, well, then 95% then of mankind is a Russian asset if that's the case. But what a deadbeat and a bum Bernie Sanders is. He can't even be bothered to speak out. Can you imagine Ron Paul hesitating on this for even a second? Yeah, it wouldn't help him politically, but he wouldn't think that way. I'm a decent human being. And this woman does not deserve this. And she stuck her neck out for me. So what a normal functioning non-reptile person does is stand up for somebody like that. Does not occur to Bernie. I mean, when Bernie endorsed Hillary and his people were shocked, I couldn't believe they were shocked. That Bernie's not one one hundredth the man Ron Paul is. You really thought he was going to refuse to endorse Hillary? No way. No way. He's, he's a team player. He's going to be on that team come what may. Even if it contradicts everything he just said, he's going to do it. That was a nice thing about Ron Paul. We didn't have these moments of heartache where we, were, we felt betrayed and disappointed that this man we had followed and admired and worked for and sacrificed for turned out to be something different from what we thought he was. We never had to endure that. The Bernie people sure have. Well, anyway, that's why I think it's important to follow Tulsi because of what it shows us about the establishment, and the media. It's beyond belief. Glenn Greenwald tweeted out something about the, there's a New York Times article about Tulsi basically accusing her, you know, of having extremist supporters and all the, all the usual sorts of stuff. And he said, this, this article belongs in a museum, okay? It belongs in a museum to show people for all time how the establishment operates, how it smears, how it attacks, how it marginalizes, it's a perfect, perfect example of this phenomenon. And it's just, it's so, to me, it's funny. The, the, the left, which is supposed to question authority, and they're lining up behind the dumbest authority-driven narrative I can remember in my lifetime, namely this whole Russia gate and you're a Russian agent thing. I mean, this, this sounds so stupid. It sounds like you're seven. Question authority, except when they spin 
the dumbest theory of all time, a theory which is obviously being peddled in the service of the existing foreign policy and the U.S. empire and the foreign policy establishment. Yeah, I won't question that. I'll question other authority. You know, like I'll question my parish priest or something. A big, Wow, big whoop. That takes a lot of courage. Oh, these people make me crazy. These people make me so crazy. I got to go. All right, I got to go. I got to go calm down. I got to go um, use my simple habit app or something and calm down. So I've got uh, that article by... Caitlin Johnstone linked for you at tomwoods.com slash 1518. So do go check that out. And remember, you got your own website and you ain't monetizing that, baby. You are letting it be a deadbeat. You are an enabler of that website. Don't you do that. You make that website carry its weight. How to do that? Well, I got a over-the-shoulder video where I show you six ways that I monetize my websites. And you can use these methods as well. You can get that video for nothing over at tomwoods.com slash monetize. So we ain't just theorizing about capitalism now as libertarians. We're going to be capitalists. We're going to go out there and we're going to make money. We're not going to apologize for it. We're going to be proud of that. So go to tomwoods.com slash monetize and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.